Today's podcast brought to you by Elders and Reinegard by Zoetis. Hello, I'm Kerry Lunigan. Welcome to The Weekly Grill. Today, a contrarian, a self-confessed agnostic or even a sceptic about what's happening in relation to the industry-wide mission against carbon emissions. George King, beef producer from northern New South Wales. Welcome. You are on the grill. Morning, Kerry. How are you? Very well, thank you. George, are you okay about being called a contrarian or even a sceptic about the carbon emissions mission? I, I suppose so, because I'm, I'm not agreeing with the general view of it all. No, hardly. We'll get to that in a moment. But uh, before we get to the nitty-gritty, let's establish your credentials. Uh, you're a grazier, beef producer. Uh, where, where are you and what do you run? Um, we're at Carcor in central west New South Wales, which is just south of Orange. Uh, run about 1,500 Angus cows here, and we grow all the progeny out to um, feedlot weight, so that's sort of 450 kilos. And um, been here for quite a while. The family bought the property in 1880, so I'm, I'm fifth generation here managing, managing the family company. Fifth generation. And that property has a bit of history too, doesn't it? Yes, it was originally um, purchased by Coventco in 1880. My great-great-grandfather was a one-third owner of Coventco. I'm sitting at his partner's desk now, at the Coven Co. partner's desk. Oh, so you still have that in the house? Yes, absolutely. Well, wonderful yep. to see somebody preserving Australia's history. Do you have any scientific qualifications? Uh, no, none at George? all. None? Any, Not a thing. Any tertiary qualifications? Uh, Marcus Oldham. Marcus Oldham? Yep. Well, that's a breeding ground for great farmers and graziers, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Also, they Indeed. say. Listen, uh, how do you justify or explain your operations or your assertions when... You don't have any scientific qualifications. Um, well read. Carcal winters are very good for that. It's very cold and bleak down here in winter, so I do a lot of reading. The greenhouse gases, the main greenhouse gases that affect our planet are water vapour, which affects 95% of the greenhouse gases. Carbon dioxide's 3.6%. Methane's 0.45%. And um, nitrous oxide, oxide and fluorinated gases make up the rest. So it's, um, carbon's a very, very small part of the, the whole equation. Human activity each year, we, we release 29 gigatons of carbon, mostly from fossil fuel burning, which is an enormous amount, incredibly large amount. Of that 29 gigatons, 40% is absorbed by the oceans and the water, and the other 60% of those annual emissions are compounding in the atmosphere. So that's increasing the carbon we, let, we put into the atmosphere each year. Um, taking that 29 gigatons, looking at that, there's another 750 gigatons that moves through the, the atmosphere annually through um, natural processes, through the land and the, and the oceans. So it's only 3.7% of the annual emissions of carbon into the atmosphere each year are man-made. The rest is natural. George, a few subjects on the planet have been more written about, more researched than in the past 25 years than carbon. And according to popular theory, carbon emissions directly cause global warming. What's wrong with that mantra? I mean, you've just explained it in very technical terms. What's the simple equation between carbon and global warming? For the last four and a half billion years, the world's climate's been been regulated by water dynamics. Heat, the, the heat dynamics are affected by water, 95% of it. For some reason, because carbon, they could, they could pin something on humanity, what we're doing, they've, they've, um, they've tried to say it's carbon. Carbon's affecting the whole show when it's only a small percentage of the whole show. So humans release about 3 point something percent a year, 3.7% of, 
of the annual carbons are from emissions are from humans, and the carbon dioxide greenhouse gas effects three point six percent. So it's a pretty small percentage that the humans are affecting. According to to you, George, what has uh, carbon risen by in recent years or over the century? What was it say five hundred years ago, and what is it today? At the moment, we're a bit over four hundred parts per million, and it was I can't remember what it was five hundred years ago. Since the industrial revolutions, it's it's risen quite um, quite significantly. So what, fifty percent? That it's fifty percent. I think it might be one hundred and twenty parts per million or something. It's come up. Uh, we're being told to save the planet. We have to reduce carbon emissions by half. What, what's wrong with that? Who's going to do it? And even if we did say that carbon was the problem, who's going to stop doing it? Oh, we've got even if Australia cut our carbon emissions to zero, what what's the point if? Um, China, India and America are, are going headlong into increasing their emissions. Yes, it's a good like Australia only emits 3% of the, the global emissions. So if, even if we cut ours to zero, um, 3% of 3%, we're going to make 0.0009% difference to the world I think whilst, our, whilst I, destroying our economy. George, I, th- I think our emissions are less than 3%. I think they're close to 2%. But And I've often asked that question... What is the point of Australia going to zero emissions when China's still doing 40% and, and not even thinking about reducing their emissions? They're, they're talking about increasing their emissions till 2050 to bring their, their population out of poverty, and then they're going to um, talking about reducing it, as if they ever will. I doubt it. So, so I, I doubt it. Anyone is. So what's the argument for Australia to... to I'm playing devil's advocate here. What is the argument for Australia to reduce their emissions, which you can see? I don't think we do have an argument for that. Um, we all have to be good citizens and we all have to use our resources carefully. But while ever we concentrate on trying to fix the environment at an atmospheric level, we're ignoring all the really important things like biodiversity loss, um, soil erosion, aridification, um, extinctions. It, it, we need to be focusing at the soil level to fix any environmental problems in the world. And that's, it, it's just simply not going to have any effect with carbon, it's just too much in the atmosphere. It, it appears strikingly obvious to me and to a lot of other observers, I think, that agriculture is being asked to carry a massive load in decreasing carbon. We give up certain livestock practices and adopt certain carbon storage practices, but for this they get paid. So what's wrong with that? We're re- we've got a rising world population. We've got a limited resource base of land, which is declining. Um, so we're in a collision course of um, reducing our food production and increasing in, increasing um, the population. It, it's a it's a crazy collision course, which is just kicking the can down the road. And I don't think it's going to actually do anything for the environment. Like if we reduce our our carbon emissions, like it's 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 not going to do anything. What's it going to help besides um, starve people? Let's get to uh, carbon trading, which is, I know, it's a, a bee in your bonnet. You have said one party says it will store carbon in trees or in the ground while the other party emits the same amount of carbon. So the logic, just, according to you, is flawed. They're just shuffling around on a spreadsheet. So it's actually not reducing the carbon. The One company says it can, can emit as much carbon as it wants as long as it pays the tax to, a, to another company to store it. So there's no... Reduction in carbon and storing in trees is is not quite right either. It only um, trees only store carbon as they're growing and they're young. Once the canopy gets to thirty percent cover, the the carbon sequestration rates drop right off. 
but and then it stops the carbon sequestration. It's really um, to to put carbon into the soil. It's got to be a grassland. I, I have said that carbon isn't the problem. It is the the solution to the problem. Um, carbon is only a symptom of the bigger problem. Uh, if we want to address real environmental problems of of um, greenhouse gases, which is water mainly, ninety five percent, and carbon three and a half percent, the problem isn't that there's too much of them. It's in, they're in the wrong spot. So we need to get water and carbon into the soil, and that will moderate the Earth's climate. Yeah, and another, that's got to be done at a farmer level. Yes, I know. I've, I look at a lot of people who consider water still our greatest problem. The, the uh, storage and et cetera, et cetera, are all around water. But uh, carbon seems to be heading the charge at the moment. You've got another very good quote about carbon. The carbon trading schemes are a great tool for the commercially sophisticated to transfer ownership of real wealth to themselves, and in doing so, turn multi-generational farm owners into peasant farmers. Golly, that's, a, that's a big call. That is a very big call. The brokers of carbon trading, the only ones can make real money out of it. The farmers that are selling carbon, they're just make, taking a mortgage on their property, which could be could have to be repaid at some time in the future at some price we don't know. But they're selling carbon at, what, $39 a tonne now. Who, who knows what the policy is going to be at some time in the future and whether they have to pay it back, yes, whether there'll yeah. be a law enacted that... Yes, that, you've also... Um, I just, can I just interrupt there? You've also said, that's a, 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 quite a question, farmers will have to repay that carbon at a much higher rate at some time in the future. How, how is that? will that eventuate? One of the first rules in business is not to trust government because the rules change. The government's change, the policies change, the rules change. Who knows what's going to happen in the future with the government policy around carbon as crazy enough as it is at the moment. They might say that, no, we're not going to let you store carbon in the ground. We'd, we'd prefer it to be national parks. So you get rid of your stock, get rid of your land and repay that carbon. Like It could be, who knows what the price will be in the future. It's um, It's got a value of about $160 a tonne per hectare per year for a farmer in increased productivity, increased water holding value. That's where our real value in carbon is, is just having it in the soil. Like for every additional gram of carbon you put into the soil, you hold an additional eight grams of water. I know, I know in this property going through that last drought, the 2019 drought, um, we, we sailed through that. We had high carbon soils. We um, we only reduced the cattle numbers by 40%. We had enough um, enough ground cover to keep things going. A couple of storms through the through the drought led us to a couple of trades. Um, you, you can see it does work, having carbon in the soil. No, that's called good farming, George, I suspect. <laughs> Thank you. You've also described the current trading scheme for carbon as too good to be true. I know there's a lot of things about too good to be true. What is untrue about that, that, about that phrase? Because you don't know what the rules are going to be in the future. Right. Um, you, do, you don't know whether we're going to get an exotic disease outbreak, which prevents us from running livestock on the farm. You don't know if you're going to get droughts or fires or we're going to have to repay that carbon. If you get a, a five-year drought and the carbon goes down in the soil, um, are you going to have to repay that? At the at the time, you might be selling it at thirty bucks a ton now, and, and have to repay it at hundred bucks a ton. Who who knows what the future is going to hold? Time for a break. You're on the grill with Kerry Lonigan talking to contrarian George King. Back in a moment. For over 180 years, Elders has proudly been supporting Australian livestock producers. Elders supports your business across the production cycle with more than 350 livestock agents, access to specialist livestock advice and auction services. Draw on our established relationships to buy and sell commercial and stud livestock across domestic and international markets. Enjoy Del Credere guaranteed payments when you sell with Elders. Livestock funding also available subject to approval. Elders for Australian agriculture. 
Breathe easy with Rhinogard, the only single-dose intranasal vaccine for control of IBR in your cattle. Get in control of bovine respiratory disease, that's BRD, before it begins. Just deliver a single intranasal spray of Rhinogard for rapid IBR control and add a single dose of Bovishield MH1 for protection against pneumonia. For rapid protection against MH and IBR in your weaners and pre-feedlot cattle, breathe easy with Bovishield and Rhinogard. Available from your local vet today. Yes, uh, George, are you aware of any international scientific publications which support your theories about carbon and carbon trading? Oh, yes, plenty. Um, but they're not in the mainstream media. Have a look at um, Walter Yenner's work or Christine Jones. Um, that lot, lots of work on this, but it's just not the mainstream opinion. So essentially, do you agree with the supposition in that the world needs a reduction in CO2 emissions? It's just the way we do it? Um, we, we need to be better, better global citizens. And I'm not sure that the way they're going about it is going to achieve anything. The Western world, if they reduce their emissions, it's just going to re- weaken their economies. And the, the Eastern world is increasing their emissions and strengthening their economies. I think it'll be a, a major shift in, in power if we do that. So you're saying the world will do, face a disaster if we head down the current path? Yeah, yeah the Western world will, if, if, it, if it heads down that path. We're, we're going to do it anyway. You look at the cotton industry of 25 years ago. If, um, if it was around today, they'd be saying it's a terrible industry there. They're, um, they're spraying their crops 18 times in a six-month period with um, really toxic pesticides. They're causing cancer. It's, it's a really environmental disaster. But over the last 25 years, the cotton industry's gone more down the environmental road. They've got new varieties of cotton that don't need spraying, that are they're insect-resistant, and they've, they've increased, decreased their emissions and their, their petrochemical use and their fertiliser use and their, their pesticide use um, through economics. But they've done it slowly and rationally. I think the industry will do that because it'll um, be driven by profitability. We we need to re- if we reduce our our emissions, we're increasing our profitability. It just needs to be done slowly and sensibly. Yeah, the cotton story is a good one, isn't it? The George King contrarian. How should or how does the ag community then handle its CO two emissions that the community, the world scientific body, says we must reduce? How do they do it? We need, which one is something we're really bad at in a community. We need to engage with consumers, uh, which we just don't do. We just leave it up to the animal activists, the, the greens and the supermarkets to do everything for us. We need to, we need to engage. They want to know. There's just a guilt overload at the moment in, in society. They, they, they're guilty about carbon emissions. They're guilty about eating meat. They're guilty about owning a car. They're guilty about everything, which is um, a good marketing tool for the marketers. But we need to be out there engaging with them on social media, which we're just not doing at the moment. What happens if we push carbon down to half of what it is in the atmosphere right now? It's, it's about 0.04%. Mm. If we got it down to 02 agriculture would collapse. It's, um, it's basically plant food. It is a really, really important plant food. Uh, and we'd have mass starvation if we did that. But if we got it into the soil where it belongs, um, we'd grow more food, more grass, um, and, and feed more people and have more stable environments and more stable climate. Not all properties are suitable for carbon storage, are they? Uh, Soil's suitable for carbon storage, so every property can do it. I I can't imagine one that isn't. In varying degrees of efficiency, I guess. The the less efficient ones, like out in the 
in the, in the very dry areas. Yeah. Um, they're bigger and they're just going to store less per hectare, but they still will store carbon. Um, they, they can't not. If you've got um, growing grass and mulching some of that into the ground and, and trimming that root system off each year and, and having a, an ecosystem that supports the fungi in the soil, it has to sequester carbon. The world's evolved on this for billions of years. How about the problem of markets, George? So many countries, even uh, trading blocks, are now measuring another country's credentials, trading or not trading, according to how responsible a country is with its CO2 emissions. We need to change the metrics of what they're what they're actually measuring. What we should be talking about: biodiversity, ground cover, erosion, runoff, water quality, everything, all, all the other most important things. Endangered species getting preserved. It's 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 all the other stuff that's the really important stuff, which is the real environmental stuff. It needs to be the metrics which we're measuring our environmental credentials by, rather than CO two emissions. Just CO two. Yeah, because mean- it's um. Yeah, we're made to feel guilty about that, aren't we? Absolutely. We haven't had a terms of reference for a long time. Like when Now Gore's film came out, it was just about carbon, and it was it was pretty horrific because there was no terms of reference to to counteract that argument or balance it. We've had plenty of time now to to um, get some terms of reference. So it's just not about carbon. It's um, it, it the environment's about everything. It's, it it functions as a whole. Let's move on from carbon to another bee in your bonnet, and you mentioned it before, guilt-free livestock production. What, what's, what's that mean? People are made to feel guilty about eating meat. There's this strong marketing from the, from the animal rights groups and the, the companies that are trying to make a lot of meat. We've got amazing marketing machines making money out of um, fake meat. So there's a, there's a big push in that. They're the noisiest ones. We've been told to, um, you, you've got to eat less meat, and they've, now they've got this fake meat. Which is incredible. They can even market that. It's it's amazing. Yeah, that's a, um, a labelling issue, I would suggest. And uh, in some countries, they, oh, are, they are in fact making laws against that, but not here. Worse than that, it's um, the the product itself. Like if you get taken to the doctor and they've told you you've got cancer, you'll say you've got cells that are dividing and multiplying uncontrollably. And the scientists have worked out to to do that with an animal meat in a petri dish. Yeah. So they're creating a malignant tumour. And then selling that to the public as as a as a fake meat, as a substitute protein. Yeah, that's uh, It's got none of the essential um, amino acids, iron, zinc, and vitamin B twelve and omega threes that that real meat have. And they're putting that in in a chemical form, which isn't bioavailable. So I'm not sure if the um, eating the malignant tumor or, or the lack of those essential bionutrients is going to give you cancer. But it's not going to be good for you. Yeah, no, no. Most of it's full of salt as well, but. Uh... Look, yep, I know, I know the, the anti-meat activists make a lot of noise, but uh, but are they making traction? I mean, fake meat is hardly taking over the world. It will have its niche market, and what I think they call them flexitarians will buy it once in, in a while. But So should beef no, producers no, be no. worried? No, it's, well, I don't think we should. It's only 2% of the world are vegan, um, with a further 5% of identifying as vegetarians, and, and of that 5%, 46% eat meat from time to time. So that, it isn't a problem. It is more about us engaging and telling them the real story about, about meat. MLA is doing it fantastically at the moment with the good meat story. Um, we, we need to to um, make sure it's a guilt-free experience and, and to sell the environmental credentials of red meat I've and the health benefits. George, I've noticed some hype lately about eating insects, surely. That is just a passing fad. Unbelievable. Um, they contain... Um, Chitine, which is a 
carcinogenic. And when, when humans aren't designed to eat insects, it's just crazy. We should be feeding them to, to chickens and fish and eating them like a real person. <laughs> George, a final question on the carbon emissions question. You are now on the board of Cattle Australia. How does that yes. sit when I'm guessing, but I would suggest that most of your fellow board members have subscribed to the MLA mission to have, uh, to have carbon emissions neutral by 2030? We haven't. Um, we haven't. We're we're working through procedural stuff at the moment. We're a pretty brand new board. Uh, haven't haven't got into the to the nuts and bolts of that yet. It'll be interesting to see where the board decides to take that. How are you going to change public opinion on this, George? Engagement, uh-huh. engagement, and education, which is something that farmers have got to um, got to get their heads around. Got to start doing. We we really need to do it seriously. George, is there any silver bullet to this question about carbon and carbon emissions? No, no, there's no silver bullet. It's a long, hard, slow process to get um, into regenerative agriculture, into get in engagement. Um, remember when Landcare first came out, an old farmer in somewhere in Western Queensland stood up at the end and said, "Well, this Landcare better be the answer to everything because I've spent my whole life killing things that want to live, trying to keep things alive that want to die." <laughs> George King, intriguing chat. I'm sure you'll get plenty of engagement from uh, this podcast. You have never called a spade a shovel, but I reckon some might suggest you calling it a bulldozer. Great to have you. <laughs> Great to have you on the grill, George. Thank you very much for your time today. Thanks, Kerry. See you soon. And thank you for joining us. Until next time, I'm Kerry Lonigan. This has been the Weekly Grill, brought to you by Elders and Reinegard by Zoetis. Mm-hmm.